Come on, put your hands together. We came to celebrate the name of the Lord, that powerful name, the name that's able to protect us, the name that's able to lift us and shield us from our enemies. Anybody want to celebrate that awesome name with me? The writer said, the Lord is my strength. He is my fortress. He's my deliverer. He's my God, and he is my rock. So let's lift our voices together and Strong Tower, family and friends. Welcome to our 10.30 a.m. Sunday morning service. In just a few moments, our very own pastor, Dr. Chris Williamson, will be bringing a timely word. If you have prayer requests or would like to give online, be sure to log on to our website or app at www.strongtowerbiblechurch.com. Hallelujah. The song we just sang said, It's your breath in our lungs. And in this season that we've been battling and dealing with an airborne disease, and one of the things that it does, it, it affects the lungs those who come under its venomous attack. Not only does it give one a fever and other ailments, but it attacks the lungs, making it hard to breathe, which causes people to need assistance by way of a ventilator. And we're praying for those people. Many of them are in our family, there are friends, there are our associates, but above all, they're linked to us by way of humanity. We pray that God would have mercy and that God would bless them as well as our frontline workers who are there assisting people when their families cannot be with them. And so all the more for those of us who are able to breathe without artificial assistance, we should be the first who give God glory, who give God praise. No wonder the psalmist said, let everything, and I'll add everyone who has breath, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Give God honor. Give God glory while you can. Today is the only day that we have. Tomorrow is not promised. And if you have breath in your lungs, the greatest way to use that breath is to say, Yah. Way. I glorify you. I honor you. We give you praise because there's somebody right now in a nursing home. There's someone right now on a ventilator who wishes that their lungs were operating properly, that they might bless God one more time or even for the first time. So, therefore, this Christmas season, it's not about what we're going to get that's new. It might be about appreciation, appreciating what we already have. So praise God. As you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We'll continue in our series of a Merry Christmas. And I'm going to preach a message this morning entitled, <clears throat> A Messed Up Conversation. A Messed Up 
conversation. Now, before I pray, I want to let you know that we have all had messed up conversations. Whether you are married or whether you are single, whether you are a parent, a child, whoever you are, you have had some messed up conversations. I want to let you know today that God loves you and God loves to also keep it real with you. So as I came in this morning, I had on a shield over my face. Um, I was using a different kind of mask this morning, but before I got up to preach, I took it off. And when we think about hypocrisy, in the Greek culture, to be a hypocrite was to be a mask wearer, that you would try to portray someone that you really weren't. You were acting as if you were on a stage, and you hid behind a mask. That's hypocrisy. And so today we're not going to be hypocritical with God or one another by trying to act like something that we're not. Trying to act like these kinds of things don't visit us as Christians because we're holy. <laughs> no, take the mask off today and let's be free. Let's be real. Because we're going to see today that Jesus' mother and father had a messed up conversation. And God leaves these things behind for us as Elder Bob said, in the word for us to learn from and realize that we are not by ourselves and we are not strange. So may the Spirit of the Lord free you, free me today to be all that he wants us to be because of his grace. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, that we have a witness, a record from on high in written form that we can read to learn about you and even to learn about ourselves. We know, Lord God, that the Bible is a mirror and it shows us who we are and where we are and where we need to be. And Lord, and as we read the Bible to gain insight, I pray that as your people, we will always allow the Bible to read us, to show us where we really are. And so, God, as we are pressing on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of us, we still realize we have a long way to go. But we thank you for new mercy this morning to help us for old messes in our lives. Thank you, God. There is no God like you. There is no God beside you. And there surely is no God above you. Thank you that we know you. And that would not be possible had you not sent your son, Jesus Christ, the greatest gift of all, to redeem us from the curse of sin. Holy Spirit, fill us now. Holy Spirit, would you speak with my mouth today? Help me to speak a word that will minister to your people. But I am resting in peace right now because I know it's not my words that matter most. If I can just communicate what you've already written, what you've already said, it will go forth and accomplish something in the hearts and lives of your people. And Lord, I'm praying for healing today broken relationships. I'm praying for a restoration of hope today for broken relationships, especially those who are married. Lord, would you save a soul today? And would you also save a marriage today? I thank you, Lord, that with you all things are possible. And I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you, God. The song says, 
have yourself a merry little Christmas. I said that's what the song says. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. And isn't that what we want? A merry little Christmas. Well, maybe I want a merry big Christmas. You know what I'm saying? But, but for some of us, we unfortunately have inserted different lyrics to this classic that has stood the test of time. And rather than singing, have yourself a merry little Christmas, some of us unfortunately are singing or groaning, have yourself a messy little Christmas. You see, one thing statistics tell us is that divorce rates always rise after the holidays. After the holidays. We already know that divorce rates are 50-50 in terms of people who get married. They have a 50-50 chance of making it or not making it. And that number does not even decrease amongst Christians. That number is on par with people who profess not to know God or have no faith at all. And so it's a coin toss many times when people get married. And when you think about the holiday season, it increases the pressure on couples. Because if you're already building your marriage on a house of cards, the Christmas season has a way of bringing that foundation to a quick ruin. Because again, we're told to be happy during this time, that, that this is the best time of year. But for some of us, it's the worst time of year. Our memory causes us to think back to relationships we used to have or experiences we used to have, things that we don't do anymore, uh, things and ways in which we were robbed during this season, um, pain, separation, divorce of parents, the pressure to provide in the midst of a fallen economy. There's a lot of pressure, and so for some people who look forward to this season, there are others who are not looking forward to this time at all because it's a reminder of what is not or what used to be. And so it's not about having a merry Christmas. For many people, it's a miserable Christmas and after the holidays because some couples are like, if we can just make it through for the sake of the children, we'll go ahead and finalize things with that divorce lawyer in January, if we could just make it through and put on a happy face, if we can just tolerate each other and drink eggnog, don't put me under the mistletoe, but man, if we can just get through this season, then we'll go ahead into a new year with a new status called divorced, a new status called single. And during this time, many couples are having some messed up conversations, conversations at the dinner table, conversations at the dining room table, conversations in the bedroom, conversations in the car, and they are not jolly at all. It's been said that the closest thing to heaven on earth is a healthy marriage. Subsequently, it's also been said that the closest thing to hell on earth is an unhealthy marriage. People are having messed up conversations today, and there are people who find themselves living in either heaven or hell in their marriages. Now, to those of you who are not married, don't go far. Don't think that this message is not for you today, because there is a word for you as well. 
because you don't have to be married to have a messed up relationship, a messed up experience, and messed up conversations. And so there's wisdom to be gleaned for all of us today as it pertains to having messed up conversations. But today I'm focusing specifically on people who are married because even Jesus' parents had this conversation. Even Jesus' parents, before he entered into the world through the womb of the Virgin Mary, his mother and father almost called it quits. So Jesus, who came through a broken line, a broken family, he came into the world for broken people to put us back together by his grace. Even he understands what brokenness is like in the midst of a family because Joseph and Mary almost called it quits. And so therefore, I want to encourage you first by saying you're not alone. You're not by yourself. And I pray that today you would have ears to hear what the Lord has to say to you. I pray that if your heart is hard, you've already made your decision, I just pray that for a moment you would just allow the Spirit of God to touch a fertile place in your heart and that you'll listen today with new ears. Let's go to Matthew chapter 1. I'll start reading in verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Let's stop right there. So Matthew, as he's giving us his account, he begins with Mary. And he says, after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph and before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, I like these words here. So after his mother was betrothed which in their culture was legally binding. In other words, they were married. They just had not come together yet, which is why it says before they came together. Because within that culture, the Hebrew culture during this time, betrothal was like engagement in our culture, but only on steroids. It was of a legal kind. So when a couple got together many times in a prearranged family marriage, it would be where they would be betrothed first. And the betrothal was a time period where the, the marriage was tested by way of its purity, but also the time allowed the couple to prepare for the, the wedding and to prepare for bringing the bride into the groom's home. So the betrothal period was a preparation time and a time even of purity because although they were legally married, they were not sexually consummating the relationship. That would take place at a future time. So the betrothal, it was legal, and to get out of a betrothal, one would have to go through legal proceedings to do so. So within that culture, the Bible says that after Mary was betrothed, and I like this because it says to me that the Lord wanted to place his son into a family. So after their betrothed, or they have become a couple legally, it just has not been consummated yet. God placed his son into a family. And 
He did this after they were betrothed, but before they came together. Why? Because God wanted his son in a family uh, uh, so that no one could say that Mary was impregnated by someone else. Uh, uh, in other words, Mary was committed to someone. She wasn't just by her lonesome. Because had she just been by her lonesome and she came up saying that I'm pregnant, it's already tough enough to believe that you're pregnant by uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, when, when you're betrothed. It's already hard enough to believe that. And so had she been a single young maiden coming with that story, it would have really been hard for people to grasp. And even with Jesus being born into a family, the Pharisees still questioned and even ridiculed that story. Because in the Gospel of John chapter 8, uh, they said to Jesus that we were not born of fornication. And so that was their way of trying to throw a jab at Christ to question the story that had been told for 30 plus years that he was born miraculously through Mary. And so God says, uh, after y'all got betrothed, here comes my son, but before y'all come together. This lets me know that the timing of God is impeccable. This lets me know that God is in control of circumstances. Even when we think things are out of control, God is still in control, and he has a way of weaving his ultimate purposes together after and before something. After this happens and before this happens, uh, God is in the midst working it out. And so before they come together, uh, we see that she is pregnant by the Spirit of God. So now let's go over to Luke chapter 1 just to get a little more understanding on that. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. It says, now in the sixth month, now this is speaking of the sixth month of Elizabeth, Mary's relative's pregnancy. And so as we said uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago that Elizabeth, who was elderly or older, she was able to get pregnant by her husband, Zacharias. So it was a miraculous birth, if you will, because they were out of that zone of being able to have children. And so God showed up. They got pregnant uh, naturally by way of husband and wife, and she's in her sixth month of pregnancy. This is when the angel Gabriel comes to her. So back to verse 26. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. When you look at the map for Israel, Galilee is in the north, Judea is in the south. So Gabriel goes to Galilee and into Nazareth. And verse 27, he goes to a virgin, a young maiden who has not had sex, and she is betrothed. Again, that legally binding uh, 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 cultural aspect of the Hebrew culture for two people, a man and a woman, to a virgin who's betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. So there you see that, that proper lineage to the throne of David because Joseph uh, is in the genealogy of King David and leading to Jesus, his earthly son. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. 
Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. God chose you for something special. Not because you're special, but because he's special and he has gifted you with a special opportunity. Verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? She doesn't know a man sexually. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. And so Mary goes to her cousins, her relatives' home. And Mary, just being a few days pregnant with the embryo of the Messiah in her womb, she walks into the home of a relative, Elizabeth, who's six months pregnant with John the Baptist, the forerunner. And when Mary walks in just days pregnant, John the Baptist leaps months pregnant in his mother's womb. This is a beautiful story. Now, look at verse 56. Verse 56. And Mary remained with her, speaking of Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her house. So Mary stays with Elizabeth during a time of three months. She leaves just before John the Baptist is born. She, she leaves, and she goes back to Matthew, excuse me, to, to Joseph. So now let's go back to Matthew chapter 1. As you go back to Matthew chapter 1, we're putting it together here. So the angel speaks to her to tell her she's going to have a child, the son of God she's going to give birth to. While she's betrothed, she goes away for three months, and then she has to go back. She leaves and goes back. And this is where we come now to verse 19, okay? We read chapter 1, verse 18. Now we're back to verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and wanting to make and wanting, excuse me, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. So this means that between verse 18 and 19, Mary goes away for three months. She comes back to Judea, excuse me, to Nazareth, excuse me, has the conversation with Joseph and tells her, him, 
that she's pregnant and that she's pregnant with the Son of God by the Holy Spirit. And she's three months and she's probably beginning to show. And based on what we see here in verse 19, that Joseph didn't believe her because he was willing to put her away, i.e. divorce her. They were legally bound by way of betrothal, so he had to legally get out of it by putting her away or divorcing her. But see, I've got to use my sanctified mind for a minute, and I've got to stop and pause because I want to imagine what that conversation may have been like because we read right over it. But I've got to jump in there because I've had a few messy conversations in my marriage Next month will be 29 years, no, late, the end of this month will be 29 years, and Doreen and I have had a few messy conversations along the way, and I'm just here to let you know that Joseph and Mary had one of them messy conversations, and I've asked my wife to come and help me kind of play out how that conversation might have gone down. So now dig this. I haven't seen Mary for three months, okay, because she's been hanging with her cousin Elizabeth. There's no FaceTime. There are no Zooms. Somebody said, thank you, Lord. There's no way that they were able to connect and talk. So he's seeing her for the first time face-to-face in three months. And I think that conversation went down a little like this. Mary! Oh, it is so good to see you, girl. Girl, I missed you, girl. Oh, my God. I missed you. You've been gone for three months. Oh, how's Zacharias doing? How Elizabeth doing, girl? Uh, you look good too, by the way. You look good. Thank you. Um, we need to talk. We need to what? Yeah. We, we, uh, are you getting cold feet on a brother? No, 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 no. Um, Zacharias is good, actually. Um, an angel appeared to Zacharias, you know Elizabeth's husband, uh-huh. and Elizabeth is. Are you serious? Old Elizabeth is pregnant? Yes. Oh, my. That's great news. Um, She's not the only one who is pregnant. Uh, What you talking about, Mary? Because I know, I know now you're not talking about you. Because you and I have been practicing sexual Purity. I know. There's, there's not any other man. Um, so the same angel that appeared to Zacharias uh-huh. appeared to me. And he told me that the Holy Spirit would overshadow me and that I would be pregnant with the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. And so it, you know, the Son of God. So it. That's happened. So, so you telling me that an angel came to see you yeah. and you're pregnant miraculously without a dude. And, and you're yeah. standing before me right now pregnant and you're trying to tell me that God did this. Yeah. Who do you think I am? You must take me for a fool, woman. You know what? You know what? I can't do this. I, I don't believe you. I'm getting a divorce. I, I can't do this. A messed up conversation. And if you're having a messed up conversation, 
as I mentioned, you are not by yourself. But that's not how it ended for Mary and Joseph. They went there, but they didn't stay there. Something happened. And you might go there from time to time. Oh, early in my marriage, I went there. The first year of our marriage, which I was told I got a good college education. I took sociology classes. I had premarital counseling but those were rubber bullets. <laughs> There's nothing like facing real ammunition when you're in a real marriage. And in those classes, they would say that the first year of marriage is the toughest year of marriage because you're getting to know each other and you're having to adjust and adapt and develop your own kind of style and cadence. I didn't pay no attention to those books because I figured I could just live on love. But after we got married, in Virginia and moved to Tennessee. We were living in the Hickory Woods apartments and Darina and I got into an argument of arguments. I don't know today what the argument was about, but man, I remember how it made me feel. It made me so upset that I got up and walked out of the apartment and went down into the parking lot, and it was dark outside. I was so hot, I left the apartment of my one year, ain't even been a year, newlywed wife. And I was out there just fuming, and the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. And he said, uh, <laughs> you fool. <laughs> That's how God talks to me sometimes. He said, um, where'd you learn that from? I said, learn what? Walking out of a house during a disagreement. Where'd you learn that from? Because you've never seen your mother and father do that. And at that time, my mom and dad had been married, man, three, three decades. Like, you've never seen that? And I had to say to the Lord, I said, you know what? I guess I got that technique from television. Because it seems like whenever somebody on TV has a conflict, they walk away. Or they go for the alcohol, the brown liquor, when they have a, a problem. And I saw James Evans one time walk out on Florida Evans on Good Time. And I guess that's where it came from. And God was like, you don't follow the ways of the world. Get back up and go back in your house and humble yourself before your wife. And from that day on, I never ever in the midst of intense fellowship with my bride, and we've had some intense fellowship. You get two safe sinners together, we don't always agree on everything all the time. I still have pride in my flesh, and she does too. But I never ever walked out again after that. Because in marriage, you got to learn how to fight and how to fight well. And even let me back it up, you got to know who you're really fighting against. But every couple has to learn at their own rhythm and at their own pace. Every couple, especially those who are born again, who claim the Lord, the one who created the covenant in the first place. It just takes some time where you can turn conflict into compliment, and it doesn't always have to be combat. Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. And so let me, in my time remaining, just give you a few thoughts from this text that I hope you'll consider so that you can have some merry conversations and not some messed up conversations. 
first thing I want you to get is never make a major decision to end your marriage on impulse. That's what Joseph did. From that conversation with Mary, he threw in the towel. He was giving up. He was done. It was impulse. No doubt the first time he hears this from her, it is so extraordinary, so out of the regular norm of a story. He's like, there's no way. And he's probably thinking about the shame that he's going to have to deal with, uh, being married to a woman carrying a baby that is not his, and she says it's from God. All this stuff is going through his mind, and on impulse, he says it's over. Now, we don't know how long they had been dating or how long they were betrothed at this time, but it appears he made a knee-jerk reaction the first time he hears this story. Secondly, never make a major decision to end your marriage during an unprecedented time. Don't make a major decision to end your marriage during an unprecedented time. This was unprecedented. <laughs> The Jews have been waiting for the Messiah for centuries, for thousands of years. And they had just come through a 400-year period of silence when Malachi closes what we know the Old Testament is. And there's been 400 years of no special revelation from God. And then all of a sudden, Gabriel shows up. This is unprecedented here. And the assignment is unprecedented. And so it's easy to say, I'm done, because you've never seen anything like this before. You've never been this way. You've never been through anything like this before. So you're ready to give up. We've never seen COVID before. And it's wreaking havoc on all of us, especially some of us. And this is not the time where there's social distancing, and, and this is not the time where there's political upheaval. This is not the time where there's racial trauma. This is not the time when people are losing their jobs. This is not the time to make a major decision to just cash in your chips and say, I'm done. One thing we know about God and life is that seasons change. And you got to wait for this season to change. 2020 has been a heck of a year for all of us. Don't add the failure of your marriage to an already hard enough year that's unprecedented in American history. In one day, we lost more people to COVID than we lost during 9-11. One day, it's unprecedented. Another thing, never assume that you are the only person who is hurting in your marriage. Yeah, Joseph was hurting. He heard something that he wasn't expecting to hear. It was probably a blow to his manhood. He wanted to be the one to have the child with her first, not God. He's hurting. But guess what? Mary is hurting too because, yes, she accepted this assignment. Thank God for that. We, we honor God for her courage and her bravery to say yes. But we also need to realize that she's hurt by the way that this hurt Joseph. She's hurting too. 
Who's there to encourage her in her pain? She's going through something that no one has ever gone through and who will never go through again. Isn't that a time when she needed her future husband's support? So she has to suffer alone. And he's upset. And isn't that what happens in marriages? We talk about how I'm hurt, and you talk about how I'm hurt. And we turn our backs to each other, and we don't want to touch if we're even in the same bed. And we become myopic about our issues and our issues alone. But that's why the Christian faith is so important, because we're always encouraged to not look out exclusively for our own interests, but to look for the interests of others, especially the person you're married to. Yes, marriage will reveal how selfish we are, but the Lord will challenge us to be selfless and serve as he served. Ah, boy, marriage, it will make a man and a woman out of you, I tell you. But another thing we need to look at here is that never assume that your marriage is the only marriage that is struggling right now. And that's how the devil works. The devil wants you to think that your marriage is the only one that's having this kind of problem. Or your marriage is the only one that's going through a hard season right now. And if you keep believing that, you'll isolate yourself from other people who are going through similar challenges But more so, you'll isolate and remove yourself from people who have gone through similar challenges and been able to overcome them by the grace of God. The devil knows, you know, if if he can get the sheep to separate from the sheepfold. Because in the sheepfold, you'll have some men who will challenge that husband on how to love his wife. How to uh, wash her with the word. How to lay his life down. You'll have some men. Who, who will stand with that man and hold that man accountable. But then you'll have some older women in the church, in the sheepfold also, who will teach the younger women how to love their husbands. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why we need community. But when we start going through, we think we're the only ones going through, and we don't want to hear from the community. You're not the only ones going through. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, there is no temptation that has overtaken us except what is common to man. It's all common to man. And everybody who's been married, especially if you have a quote-unquote good marriage, you've been through some bad moments. (laughs) There is no gain without pain. Man, everybody's been through. Everybody's going through. Don't believe y'all are the only ones who have to survive infidelity. Don't believe y'all are the only ones who have to survive bankruptcy. Don't believe y'all are the only ones who have to survive infertility. Don't believe that you're the only ones. God has many witnesses who can testify of his delivering power. Another thing I need to say to you is never make a major decision to end your marriage without hearing from God. Oh, yeah, now it's about to get personal. You thought I was personal before. But but, but, but here it is, and I'm saying this specifically to Christians. Never make a decision to end your marriage without hearing from God. You see, you got married 
in a church, right, because you wanted to get married in God's house. So there was something about you that wanted to include God in the wedding day. Uh, you asked a minister like me to come and perform the ceremony and not some judge that you don't know downtown in some cold halls of city hall. No, you wanted a church. You wanted a minister because you wanted God on your wedding day. You had somebody coming off for prayer. You had somebody come and do worship or sing a Christian song. Y'all may have taken communion on your wedding day because you wanted God in your wedding day. But isn't that part of the problem? <laughs> we just want God on the wedding day. But we don't want God in the marriage. I mean, if you invited a preacher to your wedding day, invite one into your marriage. If y'all prayed on your wedding day, why don't you pray together in your marriage? If you took communion on your wedding day, you might need to take communion again in your marriage. If you knelt at an altar on your wedding day, you might need to kneel at an altar for your marriage. But we don't want to talk to God because we know what God is going to say. Because when you took those vows, now as I say this, I'm not talking about, uh, 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 you know, if you're in an abusive marriage. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. Because there are things the Bible talks about uh, in terms of ways that God provides grace in those kinds of situations. I'm not talking about people who abuse the marriage. No, no, no. I'm talking about Christians who want to get out of it under the guise of irreconcilable differences. What is that? Irreconcilable differences. We were one time not reconciled to God, but God reconciled us to himself and to each other through Jesus Christ. So we have this ministry of reconciliation, and ministry should start first at home. And if the Lord is in the relationship, we both see how we fall short with him. So therefore, we can extend grace to one another the way he extends grace to us. But no, I don't want to talk to God because I know what he's going to say. He's going to say forgive. He's going to say love again. Matter of fact, God is going to say, when you stood in that church on that wedding day and took vows, and you're talking about I will hold, I will have and hold from this day forward until I die. God is like, um, I'm keeping my word. I expect you to keep yours. That's why in them vows, y'all talk about for better or worse. Well, worse is here. Now, all of a sudden, you don't want to keep your vows. Sickness is here. Now, all of a sudden, you don't want to keep them vows. Poverty is here. Now, you don't want to keep them vows. That's why it's a marriage covenant, not a marriage contract. Covenant brings God in. Contract, man, I got a good lawyer. No, no, no. Covenant means we are binded together and God has sealed the relationship. That's why you can only get out of that relationship with God's approval. And if you try to get out of the covenant without God's approval and you marry somebody else, God says you're committing adultery. Oh, we don't want to hear that. So we'll call a relative that'll tell us what we want to hear. We'll call a girlfriend or a homeboy who will tell us what we want to hear. We don't want to hear from God. We don't want to hear from God's servant. But look what happened to homeboy Joe. Look at verse 20. But while he thought about these things, what's he thinking about? Putting her away? Divorcing her? While he's thinking, he acted on impulse. But at least homeboy is now thinking. 
Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So he heard from God through Gabriel, who confirmed what Mary had said to him. In other words, he heard from God. I have learned that when couples are struggling, the last person they want to hear from is God. But you need to tell your flesh, no, I need to hear from God. And many times God is going to tell you stuff and tell me stuff we don't want to hear, but it's stuff that we need to hear. We make it too easy for folks to want to get out of marriages today. This is why you need to count the costs. Like Jesus said, before you start building a tower or building a home, count the cost. Sit down and think about it because once you get started, man, keep building until the Lord calls both of you or one of you home. Where's that kind of uh, uh, intestinal fortitude today? We just make it too easy to just jump out and switch and swap and quit when we tie. Everybody tie it. Everybody tie it. But you got to find a way. If the Lord can raise a dead Jesus from the grave, can he raise a dead marriage from the grave? When you tell your story, do you say God brought us together? Or do you say we got together because she looked good? I hope there's more to your story than that. But even if that's how you got in, you got in the covenant and God is able to keep you in the covenant but you got to want it. One thing I can't do is want it for you. Moses could part the Red Sea. He could turn the Nile to blood, but he could not make one marriage stay together. That's up to the couple. And nobody made you get married. You made a choice. And one of the most powerful things God has given you is the ability to choose. But you must submit your will to his will. And Jesus, the one we just remembered through communion, teaches us that we need to say to God, Lord, it's not my will, but it's your will. In other words, I'll drink the cup of suffering. And right now your marriage is suffering, but can you drink the cup? Because again, according to our faith, after the suffering, there's new life through a resurrection. But you'll never know about it if you come down off this cross of a season. You'll never know about it if you walk out of the Garden of Gethsemane and say, I don't want him. I don't want her no more. Faithful is he who called you. He'll do it through you. And that's some of the problem. You've been doing it in your own strength. My God. But here's another thing I got to say to you. Never allow your fears to frustrate your future. Verse 20 again, the angel appears to Joseph and says, don't be afraid to marry this woman. I know you're afraid. And God knows you're afraid to trust him again. God knows you're afraid to trust her again. God knows you're afraid to try again. But never let your fears frustrate your future. The only thing that can override your fear 
is your faith. And even if you got to say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I'm going to try it again. Let me tell you something. You know how many times I done tried to get in shape? You know how many times, man, I done tried to eat right? I get going for a while and I mess up. I get going for a while and I, I go past a cheat day to a cheat week. And then I, I done fell off the wagon again. And I'm like, Lord, I don't want to try no more. But there's something or someone in me who won't let me stay on the curbside of despair. Because the same spirit that raised Jesus up from the dead is alive in me. So I've got to keep trying. I've got to keep going with whatever in my life I'm struggling with. For some, it's school. For some, it's financial management. Whatever it is, breaking an addiction. You got to get up and try again. Why? Because with the living, there is hope. You've got another day to do the right thing today. So stop saying, I'm afraid of what might happen. I thought you were a person who was saved by faith and you're to live by faith. Well, I'm afraid he's going to hurt me again. Well, guess what? If you leave him and go to somebody else, somebody else going to hurt you again and again and again. You leave her, she's going to hurt you. This other woman out here again and again. But dig this, life is going to hurt you again and again. There's going to be disappointment in life. Man, get over yourself. Stop being so selfish and so immature. Man up, woman up. Keep your vows. Keep your commitment. Get some help. Get some counseling. Fast together. Pray together. Worship together. See somebody together. And don't let this Christmas be a mess for you. But then finally, never allow yourself to be disobedient when God speaks clearly. Look at verse 24. After Gabriel tells him what's going on, then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. He did what? The angel said to him, don't be afraid to take her. He got up and did it. He obeyed. And I just know too many Christians who, when God speaks, it's just too easy for them and convenient for them to cop out and say, I know what God said, but this is how I feel. That's dangerous. Because if you keep going with that kind of mentality, with that kind of compromise, with that little bit of leaven, you'll keep on compromising in other ways. Now, my man Sherman Smith says, you can pick your sin, but you can't pick the consequences. And so if we get comfortable disobeying God, when God has made it clear, when he speaks clearly and you say, I know what God said, but it's that but that's going to get your butt in trouble. God ain't going to change the rules for you on marriage because you're hurting. He knows you're hurting. Why do you think he's the three-strung cord in your marriage? Husband, wife, two strands. The third strand, Ecclesiastes 4.12, is the Lord. Wrap around him, you'll wrap around each other. But if you stop wrapping around him, you're going to stop wrapping around your spouse. And you go to the Lord with your pain, with your, with your uh, apprehensions. Get accountability around you. And again, I'm not talking about extreme cases where there is abuse and constant abuse of the purity of the covenant. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the Christians who just said, I'm tired of looking at you. You're tired of looking at me. I don't want to be with you. I'm talking to you right now. 
That's a poor reason. Listen, if you are comfortable compromising now, it's just going to be easier to do it later. Don't think the next time, oh, I'll just be content to be single. Look, you don't want to fool around out here in these COVID streets. Sometimes it's cheaper to keep her. Sometimes it's better to dance with the one you brought to the party than to go out here. Or to think that, nah, I, I, Tyler Perry, I'd be okay by myself. Okay, really, for how long? Work this out. Get that D word out of y'all's vocabulary. Divorce. If it's a card in the deck, take it out of the deck and throw it away. It shouldn't even be an option for you. But hey, you've had the conversation. Mary and Joseph had the conversation. But I thank God that he listened to the word of God from Gabriel. And he went back and he took this woman on to be his wife. I got to let you know, I got to let you know uh, 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 that Joseph may have initiated wanting a divorce. But thankfully, he listened to God. I'm going to say it one more time. Joseph initiated this messy conversation and that messy word called divorce. He's the one that was going to put her away privately. And that shows you right there how he loved her. He's like, I don't want to make it public because they might stone her in this culture. They might chide her and abuse her and put her down. Look, look, I, I care about her, so I'm going to do it privately. No, man, keep her. And when the angel spoke to him, he changed his course of action. And as a result of taking this woman on to be his wife, God gave him a unique blessing. <laughs> you say, man, what's the blessing? What's the blessing? It's a blessing he would not have gotten had he put her away. Pastor Chris, what's the blessing? It's the blessing he would not have experienced had he divorced her and leaned on his own understanding and operated exclusively and primarily by his feelings. What's the blessing? Here's the blessing. Joseph has the distinct honor and privilege of being the very first person to see with his own two eyes, the Son of God in human flesh. You may not think that's much, but when Joseph and Mary gave birth, when Mary gave birth, no one was there with them except animals. We'll talk about that on Christmas Eve. So who was the mid-husband? Who was there helping her to deliver the Messiah? It wasn't a midwife. She, Mary didn't do it by herself. Joseph was there. So he had the distinct privilege of seeing the Son of God first, even before Mary did. I don't know about you, but I think that's special. I think that's beautiful. I think that is wonderful. But he had never got that had he stayed away. And I'm just here to let you know that there's something God has for you. If you can endure this season, there's something that God has for you. I don't know what it is. But the Bible says in James 1, 12, 
Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been tried, he will receive the crown of life. When you go through a hard time, when you get to the other side, there's something, there's a crown, there's an opportunity, there's an experience, but you don't get it if you quit. I know you don't think your marriage can make it. God is like, I can give you a better marriage than the one you had before. You need to go talk to some people who've been through some things. You, you, you need to open up your ears. Many years ago, when we uh, had a house that had an actual fireplace, nowadays we have a gas fireplace. And uh, our house, uh, I think it was our first house, as a matter of fact, had a fireplace. And so Darina and I, we, we loved to light the fire. Uh, but being a city boy and not a country boy, I would go to Kroger and buy those uh, logs you could burn. They were fake. You could just light the paper <laughs> and the logs. I wasn't going out chopping wood, bringing in wood. <laughs> Man, I wasn't trying to do all that stuff. No, I went to Kroger. <laughs> I got some eggs, some milk, and some logs, and I put that log in the fireplace. And one night, we were watching a movie or something, and we were cuddling. It was so warm and so nice. Fire is going, and so the movie is over. We're ready to go upstairs and go to bed. And so I take a, a, some water from a pitcher, and I pour it on the fire to put the fire out. And you see the smoke go up. We go to bed. I'm an early riser. Uh, might be because the brother has a weak bladder. I don't know, but I'm an early riser, and I like to meet with the Lord early. I get up early the next day, and I go into the living room, and lo and behold, the fire is burning in the fireplace. And I'm like, no, my kids, I don't even know if we had any kids then, uh, but, but I, I'm like, who lit this fire? And then it dawned on me, no one lit the fire. The fire technically didn't go all the way out. Because although from looking at it with my two eyes, it looked like it was out, there must have been a spark on the backside of that log that still maintained. And all it needed was a little bit of time to go from a spark to a raging fire again. You may feel like the fire out of your marriage is gone. You may feel like, man, it'll never burn like this again. But if there's a spark, <laughs> if there's a spark, the wind of the Holy Spirit can blow on that spark. Because with the spark, there's hope. <laughs> and he can engulf what the world tried to put out. Because the Bible says that many waters cannot quench love. So if y'all are in love, if there's a spark, if you love God, if all you got is agape, oh, that's more than enough. Because agape can lead to phileo, brotherly and sisterly love. Y'all start liking each other again. And agape can lead to eros, y'all. Amen. Hey, if you got a spark. So the question is, as I pray for you, acknowledging your pain and your hurt, your trauma, what triggers you? Is there a small spark still in your heart? Because if there is, that's all God needs. Can you trust him again? 
Ah, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that Joseph reconsidered. He was afraid. And I would have been afraid too. It's hard to believe a story like that. But I thank you, God, that you have a way of not only speaking to couples, you can speak to individuals within the marriage. And I just thank you that Joseph had ears to hear. I thank you that he had the courage to do something that had never been done before and to take Mary on as, as his wife. That he put the word divorce and putting her away, away. And he went forward by faith. And you blessed them and you blessed him. Thank you that they went on to have other children, apparently having a wonderful, lucrative, healthy marriage. I thank you, Father, that you stand ready right now to do it again for anybody who can say, Lord, I'm a mess. We are a mess. Help us, God. I thank you, Jesus, that you came into the world to save us from our mess. And this story of your coming is more than a warm and fuzzy. It's a real and right now. Father, I pray for couples to drop the pride, to drop the bitterness, to drop the fear. And that the faith that they had on their wedding day, not knowing what they would get into, not knowing the trouble that was coming, but also not knowing the victories and the blessings that were on the way. I pray that you would renew them, restore them, refresh them, revive them. In Jesus' name, break the statistics and the yokes and the curses and bring freedom like never before. Thank you, God, that you're able. I just pray that we would be willing. We love you and we thank you that you're the kind of God that joins us in our mess. Oh, a lot of friends may leave when things get messy. They don't want the hassle. They're tired of helping us with the burdens. But you, Jesus, have said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I can turn it around. But you have to be willing. So, Father, this Christmas, we don't need a Hallmark movie showing us about a couple that made it through a hard time. Lord, no, no, no. This is real life, and we need you. If you did it before, you can do it again. In Jesus' name, amen. This week, as the staff goes to prayer, if you need us to pray, with you, for you. Would you send a prayer request into the church so that we can stand in the gap and call out your situation and you by name? Because we're not primarily, nor are we ultimately fighting against flesh and blood or against our spouses. But we're fighting against spiritual wickedness in high places. The same devil who showed up with Adam and Eve to wreak havoc in their marriage. He shows up in many different ways to ruin all of our marriages. 
But one of the reasons Doreen and I were here today is because somebody prayed for us. Send your prayer requests in. We may not even know that you were having marital problems. It's okay. God knows. And put your name on it because we love you. If you're not in our church and you're watching this and you are struggling this holiday season, send us a prayer request at info at stbch.org. And my staff and I, we will pray for you. Just like we may need someone to pray for us tomorrow. We don't know what life holds. Oh, my. And Strong Tower, if you have other prayer requests, send them in. I know there's been a lull because we're tired of this format. But don't let the lull keep you from some level of community. Okay? I'm so glad you're watching right now. Let's take as many steps into community virtually that we can. So let's receive the benediction. And if the Lord wills, and he allows, I'll see you Wednesday night. Now unto him, not us. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or imagine. And it's according to the power that is working within us. To him be glory, majesty, dominion, and power in the church and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us today at Strong Tower Bible Church where Dr. Chris Williamson is senior pastor. We hope you enjoyed worshiping.